Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. It's never wrong to reach out in love. It's even a value as the Lord heals you to love like you've never been hurt. Open to the work of the Spirit in your life. And sure, it's easier said than done if we attempt in our own strength. But that's the point of Jesus. We need him. We need his heart and his power and his eyes and his compassion. Enemies have a tendency to bring out the worst in us. But God always brings out the best. God brings out the best in us. And he showed us how it was done right on the cross, didn't he? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You We've got a great study lined up for you, so set aside the next half hour to join us for Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor returns to 2 Kings 15. As you study the kings, you can't help but notice many of them started off well, but then compromised at some point. That pattern is played out in many lives today. So this is an excellent reminder to abide and obey. Abide in the Lord and obey Him, steering clear of compromise that will only hurt us. Here's Pastor Ed to start things off in Matthew. Would you turn over to Matthew chapter 5? And I do believe it's, it's important for us to recognize that while, while Jonah didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of him, he, he did have a relationship with God. And he did know the ways of God. And here today as we follow along our Savior, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all that Jonah was waiting for, all that he believed in, Notice in Matthew chapter 5 what Jesus says. It's very instructive for us. Pick up in verse 43. Matthew 5, verse 43. Now, I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation first, okay? You have heard that the law of Moses says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Didn't you wreck? Isn't that something that you witnessed today? Driving in, pouring down rain. Was it just on your car or on your lawn? You know, was it just raining on your lawn and the unbeliever that lives down the street didn't get no rain? No, it came on the whole neighborhood. It was on all the cars. It was on our parking lot and at Safeway. Like the rain came on the just and the unjust. It wasn't just you that has the benefits of rain, or it wasn't just the unjust that has to deal with. It's on all of us. I love the illustrations of Jesus because when he shares illustrations, they're universal thousands of years later. That immediately, that even today, having known that this would be the text, I mean, I didn't put in my little notes, and by the way, it will rain right before service, so Ed, make sure you mention the rain that was right before service. It's not. God loves you. He wants you to, ta- he wants you to taste and see that he is good. 
He wants you to see illustration after illustration of his faithfulness. And so what did he give you? He gave you the gift of rain just before you came to Bible study so that in a few moments after you walk into the building and you raise your hands in in adoration and praise and you take of communion and you come together and pray in groups that a few minutes later we'd be reminded of the illustration that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago about rain and love and enemies and our neighbors. Those of you today that are just really feeling like God's let you down or that you, God, God doesn't know you or doesn't remember you or doesn't care about you, it's not true. There's so much going on in the physical realm that is spiritual in nature that if we would just open ourselves to the spiritual realm with spiritual eyes and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to prepare us and minister to us. So I've been in this actual section of the Bible in my devos in Luke in the last week. So I've been chewing and meditating on this. We're in it from Matthew today, but I find that as wherever, I'm at, wherever I am in the Word of God, that's what gets opened up before me in that day. And to me, that's why it's so important that I start my day not on Instagram, not on Twitter, but in God's Word. I need, and I need to train myself even more to be in God's Word in my Bible more than my iPad, which I have all kinds of Bible software on my iPad, because sometimes when I'm on my iPad, a notification will pop up and distract me. But when I'm reading the Bible, no notifications but the Holy Spirit. There's nothing popping up but His Word. And I find that just so, such a confirmation of the presence of God and the affirmation that His Word is true that even, even though you didn't know where we'd be in the text necessarily or what illustrations, that I think I put this study together a couple weeks ago uh, and refreshed it this week, but that I didn't set this text up just because I knew rain was coming right before service today. That God is faithful to continue to remind you of his word and how it comes to pass, and it's true. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust, and it just happened an hour ago. It may be still raining right now. If you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you're, verse 47, if you're only kind to only your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So the first thing Jesus deals with is false teaching. You have heard it said, go ahead and love your neighbors, but you have permission to hate your enemies. Where's that in the Bible? Nowhere. Because Jesus says, I say to you, it doesn't matter what you've heard. Let me tell you the truth. I say to you, love your enemies. That's the word of the Lord. Love your enemies. The oral law among the Pharisees and the religious rulers of the day began to take precedence over the truth, which is what Jesus came to set things back. Love your enemies. That's the heart of God. To yield yourself to the presence of God in your life and love your enemies. He says to heap blessings upon them. Pray diligently for them. Yield your anger and bitterness in repentance before God so that it doesn't invade your life or take you off course. And again, this is one of the places of the Bible where if we attempt to, uh, to follow through with this in the strength of our own flesh, we'll only meet with failure. But the very least, the easiest one of these to do, the easiest one is to begin praying by name for those that you consider an enemy. To pray for them. And just lift them up. It's very hard 
to stay angry at someone when you regularly are praying for them. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's very hard when you're just laying before them and just not even, don't, don't drop some David prayer from the Psalms. Lord, I pray for my enemy, so-and-so. Would you please break their teeth one at a time? You know, there's a, probably a dentist listening, and I don't know how many teeth we have, but, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a 60-day David prayer and pray for every one of the 60 teeth to be broken day by day. I prayed for my enemies. No, that, that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is to love. It's never wrong to love. It's never wrong to reach out in love. It's even a value as the Lord heals you to love like you've never been hurt. Open to the work of the Spirit in your life. And sure, it's easier said than done if we attempt in our own strength. But that's the point of Jesus. We need him. We need his heart and his power and his eyes and his compassion. Enemies have a tendency to bring out the worst in us. But God always brings out the best. God brings out the best in us. And he showed us how it was done right on the cross, didn't he? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Well, back in 2 Kings... We'll let the work of the Holy Spirit bring that to life in you this week as you meditate upon it. Perhaps those of you that had a bad day, that's the answer of God to you. Or if you have a bad day tomorrow, or if you've had a bad week or a bad month or a bad few years, love covers a multitude of sins. It's a lubricant, is it not? It's a lubricant of all the friction that we face as we serve among people. And and haven't you found it to be true? The more people you're around, the more hurt that occurs. And the more people you're around and really the more people you reach out in love, the more you love, the deeper the hurt and the deeper the pain. And so, verse 32, in the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And he built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. The rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did. Are they not written in the book of Chronicles, the kings of Judah? In those days, the Lord began to send Rezan, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, against Judah. So Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. So we finally come to the time of Assyria's invasion. Uh, this is the judgment of God upon a rebellious nation. It's the first of two times. And now we end with Jotham reigning in Judah. He does a lot good, and yet there was little that he didn't do. He's kind of following in the same compromising paths of those before him. Uh, we learn in Second Chronicles, when we study a little more in depth in these kings, that Jotham was able to defeat the Ammonites. Uh, and gain much territory. He was a strong uh, king politically, but was the last real strong king to be so. And so as we close, I just don't want us to forget in how we tie it all together in our lives today, how things began. Because so often we are emphasizing how things begin. And, and we, we think, well, we started well. And praise God, I think we all started well. Because we were all born again at some point. And so we started the race well. And how do we start in our study in Samuel and all the way on into Kings and now 2 Kings? Well, we started with God replacing, allowing the people to choose their own king, King Saul. And then we had young, young David in the book of Samuel waiting patiently 
on the run. He made his own mistakes as well, but he didn't usurp the authority of King Saul, but waited patiently for God so that he was risen up at the right time. And he was a good godly king, failures and all. And then after David died, the next king, his name was Solomon, his son. And we were just speaking about that today, how Solomon, when he lacked wisdom, and God came to him and said, just ask whatever you want, that he said, well, you know, I'm young and I don't know how to lead, so I need wisdom. And it was a great request. I mean, imagine if God, in your own prayer life, uh, if he came to you and said, ask whatever you want, what really would be your answer? I think in an environment like this, we're all thinking good and thinking well. And, well, you know, I think I'd follow in the footsteps of Solomon. And I won't ask for much. I'll just, I think I'll just ask for wisdom on how to rule my house well. You know, come on now. Like, it depends on where you are and when you ask and what you're wrestling with and what you're dealing with in your heart. But Solomon, at that time, hey, I just, man, you know, whatever you, Lord, give, give me wisdom. Just, and, and God gave him wisdom and riches, and he ruled well, and then he died. And it was after Solomon that Rehoboam and Jeroboam, they split the kingdom. And we've been studying the split kingdom of God ever. Why? Because the devil uses the same exact tactic. He doesn't have many, too many tools that he uses, but he loves to divide. Because in division there is weakness, and in weakness there is destruction. And he's divided People from people from the very beginning, ultimately dividing, starting dividing people from God, and then the division of people to this very day. And he loves to divide and conquer. And so don't forget, it start, he started well. Things started well. You know, not so much with King Saul as much as it was allowed by God, but really with David and Solomon ruling as unto the Lord. And I, I can't help but remind us, and reminding myself, of the price of compromise. There is a price to compromise. It doesn't matter how you've lined it up. And it doesn't matter how you figured it out. And it doesn't matter how you've justified it. I don't know about you, but believers in Jesus Christ rank up. They're not, I'm not going to say that they are the best at it, but they are some of the best on the planet earth of justifying and explaining away sinful behavior. There's just so, you know, you, you confront someone on something. Well, you know, uh, you know, it could be something dumb like, oh, you know, the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do anything. The devil didn't make you do anything. Or, well, you know, brother, uh, who are you to judge me? All right, you know, okay, so I'm just opening the Bible to you and telling you something, and so now I'm judging you. So basically what you're going to do is not listen to what the Bible says and keep doing what you're doing. And I know there's a heaviness. I can feel it right now. There's a heaviness in this room. Things have changed right away because we have to examine ourselves. Are we one of those excuse makers, justifiers, thinking that compromise won't end with generations of, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord, did evil in the sight of the Lord, did evil in the sight of the Lord, or they did what was right in the sight of the Lord, except, or however, when God is really calling us to himself to humbly abide and obey. I don't want to be good at making excuses. As it's been said by someone, if you get good at making excuses, that's all you'll be good for. Imagine that. And that's what when we're raising our kids, that's what we're trying to raise our kids to understand. Don't make excuses. Just own it and repent. Let's learn from it. Compromise in the Christian's life never leads to good. 
Truly compromise only breeds more compromise. I'm not speaking about that kind of compromise in relationships and such where we meet each other in the middle. That's not. So, so be careful with that word because there are times when we both give in and, and we both give in for a solution. I'm speaking about spiritual compromise as it relates to the clear teachings of the Bible and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So you can understand how compromise doesn't just creep in. It just doesn't show up. It's not just, you know, something hidden in a closet. It begins by leaving the Word of God. It it begins by just not wanting God's Word in our lives. It just begins by hearing and not doing. It begins by becoming dull to the truth. It begins by feeding ourselves and feeding our flesh. It begins in so many different ways because life is filled with decisions. But basically there's only two. Life's filled with all kinds of decisions. But spiritually, there's only two decisions. Will I obey or disobey what God has revealed to me? Will I abide or will I act in the flesh? Will I rely upon God or will I rely upon myself and my own understanding and me figuring things out? Will I choose to do the right thing or will I choose to do the wrong thing? And we see this in the life of Lot. Lot was given the choice by Abraham very graciously when Lot should have been yielding to Abraham, to Abram. But Abram in his graciousness trusted God with the decision and Lot chose the bright lights of the sinful city. And those of you that know in Genesis chapter 13, Sodom and Gomorrah were corrupt to the core. And given the choice, I I want Sodom and Gomorrah. And it wrecked his family. It wrecked his life wrecked his family, wrecked everything. That, that one decision, Lord, whatever you want. Abram, what do you want? Why don't we just get along? Why don't we just make a pact to get along and lead? But instead, he chooses. Now, if you're taking notes, we're not going to go into it. But in Genesis 13, verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes. In verse 11, Lot chose for himself. And later on in chapter 19, Lot is sitting at the gates of Sodom. In chapter 19, verse 8, Lot now is offering his daughters. He's offering his daughters for sexual pleasures to these strangers that come to town. And in in the graciousness of Abram, as he offers Lot to make a decision, just think of Abram being a type of the Lord where he's offering decisions to us all the time. And the gracious decisions, you know what, Lord, what do you have for me? You tell me what to do, and I'll do what you tell me to, to do. You know, one of, the, one of the phrases that's real popular in Christian circles when somebody doesn't want to do something, it's not universal, so just consider it, but, you know, when someone's asked to do something, hey, you know, why don't you, um, you know, like, hey, it's just don't divorce your wife. Why don't you just pray and wait for God to work? And the answer would be something like, well, I'll pray about it. That's code word for, are you kidding me? I'm out of here. I was out of here already paperwork's on the on the desk but when it's in a spiritual environment it's easy to say well i'll pray about it Uh, again there are times when you will earnestly pray about it and i appreciate that but i've found far more often that the response of when it's a clear sinful decision like it's just not even my opinion so you're not even asking my opinion you're just like should i do this should I go rob the bank? Because, you know, we're really struggling right now. And uh, finances, we don't, should, I, should I go rob the bank? No, you know what? Don't steal. The Bible says thou shalt not steal. So I, I just think, okay, pastor, I'll pray about it. I use an exaggerated illustration to get your attention. 
because perhaps that phrase has just been a covering so that you still appear to be spiritual, but in your heart you've already made up your mind. Listen, you don't have to make your marriage work. You don't have to figure out your spouse. You simply go to the one who created your spouse and abide carefully in him, watching God do a work that only he can do. And you look at every area of life when we choose compromise, it's not gonna lead to where you really wanna go spiritually. It's not gonna lead there. Compromise will not lead you to holiness or righteousness. Compromise will not lead you to obedience. Sin always brings forth death. Always. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And don't rush away. Ed will be right back with a powerful story to illustrate what compromise will do to us. Today's message is aptly titled, Be Who God Has Called You to Be. Hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Have you had a chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Ed Taylor. You know, we enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads these. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord to provide and guide. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of The Power of Prayer. You know, many of us have a lackluster prayer life, and perhaps it's due in part to really not understanding the power of prayer. This easy-to-read devotional can help. It takes just a minute to read, but a lifetime to apply. Again, it's called The Power of Prayer, one-minute devotions by E.M. Bounds. As many of you know, E.M. Bounds is best known for his books on prayer. So give your prayer life the needed boost here at the beginning of a new year. Call us now at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryco.store. As promised, here's Pastor Ed with the rest of today's message. Let me remind you of a story that I really like. It's a legend a legend of a girl that was walking through the woods and almost stepped on a snake. Instinctively, she pulls back in horror, but to her amazement, the snake started talking to her and said, I'm so glad you came along. I'm cold and I need a friend. Pick me up, put me under your coat so I can get warm, and you'll be my friend, won't you? In fear, the girl replied, I can't possibly do that. You're a rattlesnake. You'll bite me. I can't pick you up. Oh no, the snake said. I promise you, I won't bite you. I really want to be your friend. After all, aren't I a creature of God just like you? I'm so cold. Please pick me up. Then she began to think about it and feel sorry for the snake. And she sat down to think it over. And as she looked at the creature of God, it began to look beautiful. Previously, she hadn't noticed its many colors. She admired its graceful lines and movement. And gradually, it began to look harmless. She thought, well, he's right. He is a beautiful creature of God. And just because most rattlesnakes bite doesn't mean this one will. Seems like a nice snake. And shouldn't I be willing to be a friend to someone that asked me? 
someone who needs me? Oh, yes, she said to the snake, I'll be your friend. And she picked up the snake, putting it under her warm coat. And immediately, the snake bit her. And the pain and poison shot through her body. And the little girl cries out, Why did you bite me? You promised you would be my friend. And as the rattlesnake wiggled away, turned around with a smirk on its face and said, You knew what I was when you picked me up. And isn't that the case with sin? We know what it is when we pick it up. But we sit there and we reason and we look and we figure things out and we rationalize and we make excuses. Well, it's not that bad. No, it could be that bad. The wages of sin will always be death for you and for me. May the Lord help us that the pattern of our lives are not like some of these kings that now Jotham, even though he's doing well, still allowed this false worship in the high places to worship anywhere they want. And these kings of, of Israel just sinning and doing evil in the sight of the Lord, it goes all the way back to Jeroboam and Rehoboam. A good reminder to obey the Lord and abide in Him as we travel through life. Tomorrow on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor encourages us to look to the Lord and not to man. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.